0: I don't even know what episode this is I didn't we didn't make a, uh, a chart, i think we're 153 we? i think we're 154 154 check the check the uh episode number department
1: um
0: do 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 do
1: we're off to a rip roaring start today aren't we
0: we are That's well okay. for those who
1: for those, those who are listening we're trying a new recording program so we uh we're more excited to try the program than we were to prepare ourselves for the episode, I guess. I've got 152
0: is the last one. So this is 153. Welcome to episode 153.
1: Again, proving that I'm terrible at remembering little things. That's
0: right. So other than that, how's your your memory? Still terrible. Uh, otherwise, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm quite well, actually. Yeah. Quite well. Uh, we're doing, this is obviously a remote podcast. I'm still in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, And you are obviously in Massachusetts. That's right. I have done absolutely nothing here as far as Project Car Updates go. Okay. For apologies in advance, um, other than wash my daily driver and visit my Sapporo. Okay. But I haven't driven it or worked on it, so. I have had uh, almost zero car life in the past week, so I don't have a lot to uh, update the podcast listeners with as far as my own stuff what about yourself um well I finished I put up the video
0: of doing the Coney heavy tracks yes I saw that I started to do the video of um, doing the trailing arm bushings I started that this morning
1: okay as far as editing you mean yeah excellent but
0: I haven't really done much else
1: Okay, so project car updates is not going to be the uh, main thing today, huh?
0: No, uh, because we pretty much covered them all last week. Yep. I do know, like, um, I looked up a couple things. The apparently, like, in crazy new car news. Okay. That, um. Tesla is in trouble for calling the Tesla Model Three like the safest car ever, yes, and yeah that's the government's not,
1: that's like not... no you can't say that that's not gone well for them, that's for sure,
0: yeah, also, they're having rust through issues. I heard that's what I saw, like these cars yeah. are not that old, and like the rocker panels are rotted off.
1: It's almost like they were designed and built in California, and they forgot about the rust belt,
0: yeah. Well, people drive these things in the snow because they're so good in the snow. Well, they do drive in the snow because if you buy one, you can't afford another car. That's true. Um, but they are all-wheel drive. And then I know there was a bunch of things with the big winter storms we had last season. People driving them in the snow and getting upset that they weren't very good in the snow. Because like, they have well, super summer tires on them? Yeah, exactly. They still had summer tires.
1: Yeah, as we've learned and we've talked about many times in the podcast that uh, summer tires will not get you anywhere in the wintertime. No, not at all. I am looking up that stuff right
0: now as well. But, yeah, and then um, I know like there was, oh, I. you know what I did do? I posted to Instagram about the Cadillac. I put the seatbelts in finally. Oh, you
1: did it. Actually, I did see that.
0: Yeah. So, it took me a little while. I mean, they were back. I've had the seat belts for like a month, but it took a while to get the little pieces I needed. So, there's these little tiny plastic bases that bolt or screw into the top of the seats. And if like they were completely missing on the car that we have, so I didn't even know that I needed them. And I noticed they were there on the junkyard car, so I grabbed them, but they were tan. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know what went into the top of them, so I had to like search around for it. And I found these like vintage, new old stock help parts that are the seatbelt retainers.
1: Okay, so it was like a universal part? It wasn't a Cadillac-specific part?
0: It's a universal GM part, yeah, from the 70s. They fit like okay, a bunch cool. of GM cars from the 70s and 80s, and apparently it breaks really easily. So this help part was a new and improved design. Uh, with a copyright on the back of the package of 1984.
1: Ah, new and improved. Yeah. Uh,
0: but they were black, so I, I think I talked about this. I had to find the right color to match them, and a friend of ours had an extra can of the SEM maroon. I thought it might be close, but it was not.
1: Yeah, that's the SEM maroon. That I think he had that because he used it on an RX-7. Yeah, it matched the
0: RX-7 actually, real well. My, R- my, my old
1: RX-7, yeah. to be specific.
0: Yeah, but but it did not match the maroon-ish red interior of the Cadillac because it's more like it did a look red. better.
1: Than, it did look better than the brown. It did. And uh, honestly, a lot of the cars back in that era, um, they have, if they had different vendors for different interior parts, they wouldn't be the exact same color anyway. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been the end of the world if you had left it, but obviously you didn't want to leave it
0: (laughs) no it was like real real dark it just wasn't quite right because I had the plastic trim around the seatbelt bases that I could match it with so I tried firethorn red because that looked kind of like it it's hard to tell when you at a picture online Um, that was not it either that was too red more towards the fire engine spectrum Uh, turns out sem Napa red is the right middle between bright red and maroon and it pretty much matched the factory trim piece spot on. And once they're in there, they look way better not being tan. Napa as in you
1: bought it at Napa?
0: Or Napa as in that's the name of the color? Like Napa Valley Red. Okay. Um, But it's SEM, still SEM paint. And the trickiest thing. Yeah,
1: SEM makes a really good product. I've had really good luck with all of their things yeah that paint um, is really good because it's flexible yeah they have too. the black like uh semi-gloss trim paint the stuff you use for restoring like non-painted black plastic mm-hmm. theirs is like the best on the market hmm. by a long shot yeah you're gonna have to do that to the eclipse uh at some point yeah the sapporo as well yep i um it's uh it's nice stuff
0: I wasn't sure, so I think according to the instructions in the back of the package I have these retainers facing like backwards They kind of like an angle towards the back
1: Yeah, and they it, are backwards I, I looked up a really? picture earlier today Yeah, Seems like they go that way No, there's a picture of a Cadillac from the brochure back in 75 that I managed to find that shows them facing the other way Oh, That's like
0: OCD annoying because they like <laughs> angle forward over the seat and they just don't
1: look right it's supposed to keep it off the seat. so It doesn't wear the seat. Oh. Ah. Is my, is my, it's my assumption of why they're like that. Because actually the way you have them set, it, it like runs across the seat. So every time you pull the belt, it's going to pull against the leather. So I assume the main function of those is to keep it off of the leather when you pull it well, like
0: that? Well, it's weird because when you get in the car, you pull it up and over your shoulder. And then it keeps them nice and low over your shoulder and not scratching against your neck.
1: Like they that's feel how, really if it's you that way. Yeah, for you. It's probably different for every passenger in the car, depending on how long that torso is. Weird. And it happens to work for you. But looking at all of them, and then looking at all of the other Cadillacs of that era, and GM cars of that era, all of them stand up towards the front of the seat and hold it above the seat. Oh, so that's really annoying. That's, because they that's were... why That's why my assumption is it's to protect the actual leather of the seat. That's really
0: annoying because they're not, like, super easy to clip in. Right. Mm. Well, well, they might stay like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the car gets driven enough that they're going to wear the seat now.
0: And you can't, like, there's little nubs in the bases that they mount to to keep them from spinning 360.
1: Right. So you have to take them all the way apart. Yeah.
0: But you can't get to the screws that hold the bases in
1: unless you pop them out. That's annoying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you look at again, it's almost every car of that era. GM has that same seatbelt setup, and on all of them, it lifts the seatbelt above the seat. So it was difficult to find a picture at first. I'll tell you that. So I see how you kind of went with whatever seemed right because well, it seemed like that on the back of the package
0: yeah yeah because when you actually google gm seatbelt retainer all you get is gm seatbelt buckles which i would not call yes. a retainer at all
1: if you put um 1975 gm full-size interior uh, there's a bunch uh, of different pictures that came up i think that's what i used something along those lines i could you know you can google it right now but that's not going to help you anyway so it
0: doesn't matter <laughs> I'm just curious now. I, I mean, one person commented on it because I put it in the Malay's Motors Group.
1: Yes, well, that person told you you should have made the original owner fix it.
0: Oh, that was a different person. Yeah, that was really funny. I don't, yeah. I'm don't. i like, did you not read the little uh, story <laughs> that like...
1: The original owner sold it in 85?
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's the way We're it not came. not talking about
1: a two-year-old used car here.
0: Yeah, and still in that in 1984, 85, like seatbelts didn't matter.
1: Nobody cared. Yeah, there was no law yet. No, at least not for adults.
0: It was definitely not for adults. No.
1: Yeah, definitely. It wasn't until the '90s, probably. I think we talked about that before, actually.
0: Yeah, it's like nobody cared. (laughs) Yeah, and actually, the funny thing is though with um, the other weird thing about these seatbelts, when I got them back, they like kept locking, and I was like, "Oh, that's really annoying. I hope these are working all right. I don't know why they wouldn't work." Uh, cause they, I definitely, I sent them to a vendor, uh, like a vendor and then they sent them to another vendor that specialized in seatbelts. So I don't, I can't imagine why they wouldn't have told me that they were broken. Right. But then I figured out that the top retractors, you have to, the lock part of it works on gravity. So if they're not held parallel to the ground, they latch and won't unlatch.
1: So if like you got in a nasty rollover accident, you wouldn't just fall out of the car.
0: Right. Um hmm. but like it's really confusing when you're going to put them in because you're like, well, they won't unreal. And then I figured out like I was holding them like the way they would mount to the roof and all of a sudden they unlocked. And you could feel the little pin drop. It's like, probably oh, that's like a really weight. weird.
1: Like a like a weight system inside the seatbelt?
0: Maybe. It's just like a probably a pin that drops away from the little ratcheting gear that's in there. You know, the one-way gear. Right. Because they're basically... Seat belts are fancy ratchet straps in reality. Okay. They're like self-ratcheting ratchet straps. If you look inside... They hold, they hold, inside they hold the
1: body. cargo in the vehicle.
0: Yeah, exactly. I did notice, too, and I mentioned this with the tan belts. It was super hard to pull them across your body, but with... The retainer in there, it actually makes it easier because you kind of lift it up over your shoulder and then pull the waist one over, and the top one doesn't have to do much.
1: We also have to remember that in 75, they were still trying to figure out the best way to do a three-point seatbelt, especially on a pillarless car like that. There were still a lot of experiments going on. A lot of the early 70s cars... Had a two piece style that was legitimately two pieces to buckle in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where this is a one piece, right?
0: Oh, yeah. It's one piece. Okay. Two retractors.
1: Yeah, over complication.
0: Oh, speaking of weird seatbelts, um, I went to Carson and Coffee on Sunday because it was my birthday. And we took the. Happy birthday, Andrew. Steph and I, thank you. Steph and I took the town. We went up to. It was the one in Portsmouth. And, uh, it was funny cause we got in the car and, uh, she always forgets about the auto seat belt She was sitting there and, like closed on her and she's like, Oh, and then I was like, all right, ready to go. Well, what about your other belt? She's like, oh yeah. Cause it takes That's too much to think about. Yeah. Two piece belt. Um, and then I was like, mentioned that on the Euro car, your car, the Euro car, the Euro, yes, the
1: German, the German eclipse,
0: um, It has the manual three points, which are like Mm -hmm. a Canadian car here. And, but they're like super far back. Like they're kind of hard to get to.
1: Yeah. They're hard to reach because they had to make a, because the car was designed around the auto seatbelts. So when they made it with those seatbelts, those were now the retrofit. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but that'd be way better. Does Do they retrofit into the car, or do you need more? You need the plastic trim, obviously.
0: You need the trim, and they'll retrofit into the car. Okay. I believe all the bolt so,
1: holes are there. Yeah, I know, because when I did the... I used a door off of the other Starion for my 84 Starion, which has doesn't have auto belts like a later Starion does, and all the same mounting holes were there, so... hmm I guess it does work. Yeah. Yeah, it should work.
0: Yeah, we took that for a nice ride, went up, came uh only stayed there for like an hour, then we went down one A, which goes around the coast.
1: Stopped yeah, it's always a fun the, thing to do after yeah. that
0: show. Stop for breakfast at that coffee shop. Went down. That coffee shop? One. Very specific. Yeah.
1: Which is that coffee shop. Mm-hmm. What what is that coffee shop?
0: Uh it's the one
1: By the British car dealer?
0: Yeah, I can't remember the name of it.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can't either, so we're not going to advertise them today. (laughs) Yeah, it's good, though, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, whatever. That's usually a good ride
0: to go after that uh, After that, Cars and Coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a super nice day, so nice day for a ride in the car. Excellent. But you haven't had any, like, there's no Cars and Coffees out there, or it's too hot.
1: The problem is it's summertime right now. So summertime in Arizona is kind of like wintertime in New England. Right. Just not as miserable. So if the old cars have air conditioning, you'll see them out and about. But if the old cars don't have air conditioning, they're parked until um, September-ish. So next month, everything starts kicking back in again. Um, There have been a few cars and coffee things. A few, like, you know, weeknight, cruise night car show kind of deals. I just haven't had a chance really to go yet. (laughs) Um, unfortunately, my only vintage car that I own that's out here so far is stored an hour away mm-hmm. So for me to go get the car becomes a project. So if I'm gonna get the car, I have to drive an hour out and an hour back and then I've been doing the Uber with my Volkswagen mm-hmm. and I can't leave we can't leave three vehicles at the apartment complex, right because obviously limited parking here we have two parking spots so if i want to then uber again after driving the old car i need to drive an hour out and an hour back again so it's been a little bit inconvenient as far as that goes to say the least um i'm gonna try to go to something this weekend i was looking earlier today there's a couple of local uh events this weekend um so hopefully i'll be able to hit at least one of those because i am kind of jonesing a little for an event um, which is why I'm stoked to be home next weekend for our cars and coffee with the uh, Southern New Hampshire cars and coffee. Oh yeah, Google. that's
0: right, you'll be home again.
1: Yeah, I'll be home again for that. So that's good. The um, Uber.
0: You're like a, a thousand years old.
1: I am. Yeah. How does the Uber I, work, Brad? Tell me how. So after, right after I said it, I knew I was going <laughs> to get crap for it, but um, so yeah, so because I've been Ubering, I don't want to leave my car an hour away because now that's my source of income. Right. So it's been a little tough to do the things that I want to do at the moment. Um, no big deal. It's all a means to an end, and uh, everything will change as soon as it can. You know what I mean?
0: Any weird Uber stories?
1: No, nothing. No, totally it's normal. Been, it's, been, it's been totally normal and awesome. And now that I say that, I'll go out tonight and there'll be a huge issue. But um, <laughs> I had way more problems Ubering in Boston yeah. than I've had here. Uh, the people here are just so much more laid back, and they just don't care. Also, it's a grid, so it's super easy. <laughs> yeah, are you
0: learning it that way?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, everybody gives addresses here. Like, oh, it's at 40th and Thomas. Like, because that's everything has a cross section, has a cross intersection, makes it so right. easy to know where you're going. So like, oh, I'm going to, you know. The restaurant you didn't fit the name of the restaurant if you know what street it's on I can get there without even thinking about it so uh, it's uh it's certainly it's certainly working out well that's I'm not cool. sure what noise that just was I didn't hear it oh, that's good some weird noise came through my headphones, so hopefully it doesn't go through the recording it probably shouldn't because it went through my headphones sorry the uh on air uh fixing of the problem apologies to this, yeah apologies this episode is weird we're monitoring some things and we're a little distracted by what's going on if it yeah, works out I mean, well a
0: little behind the curtain we've tried a couple different things that people suggested to us this right. is just another one that we're trying because the last couple ones just haven't worked and the only thing that's been reliable has been to record uh directly from our google call
1: right which is the last couple
0: episodes have been yeah, and it gives me that like phone call quality, and we're trying yeah. to make that better. We're trying to so, make that sound like you're sti- you're sitting here in front of me, right?
1: So that's why this this episode might not be as uh, as good as the others or as long as the others, because we're kind of doing it as a as a filler to learn a new technology here. So um, and then
0: you'll be back next week, and we'll just record a couple and have a couple in the can, and then we can. Yeah, it for out. sure.
1: Actually, we're gonna have my dad in to talk about um, the actual event of Misslewood that I kind of touched on a few episodes back. Oh yeah, um, you posted that wagon. Yeah, I did. I want to make sure. I'm trying to post one every, you know, week or so, just at least until he comes on to talk about them. So I'll have a bunch in the can to like, to uh, to show what he's talking about once he's talked about them. So, but yeah, that wagon was ridiculous. That
0: is possibly the prettiest wagon I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, uh, for those who haven't seen our Instagram page, go check it out, or it's on our Facebook page. Um, it's a 1961. Chrysler Town, sorry Chrysler Town and Country, and I feel like there was another name for it, like a New Yorker. Excuse me, it's Chrysler New Yorker Town and Country. Mm -hmm. So the New Yorker was the big Chrysler at the time, and it had the canted headlights and the big fins and the wraparound windshield, and it was just this like very ornate, very late fifties, early sixties American, Um, and then the Town and Country was the station wagon version of the New Yorker. So it was a Chrysler New Yorker town and country. So it's a pretty long name. Um, Which they made 700 of that year. Which I thought was a pretty low number. Yeah. A very low number, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah. And the fact that that one exists in that actually, like, super nice condition. um, I mean, it's been restored, obviously. But it's... uh, it's pretty amazing that it exists. <laughs> well, that would be an unusual
0: car to save because it, uh, even yeah, then, it was a wagon. Yeah, it was a wagon. It was a family car. Right. It wasn't anything
1: special by the standards of the day, so it kind of was that particular car. Um, it had. It was nine passengers. Mm-hmm. So it has three rows of three, which is absurd. Like that's like an SUV of today plus one. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the SUVs today are seven or eight passenger. Yeah. Um, this thing had every option that was available, including dealer installed options. So it had the Chrysler um, record player, which is a forty five rpm record player. With storage below it for like 14 more discs, Ooh. which I'm not sure how well it worked on the road. I mean, these cars kind of floated, so hopefully they didn't hit too many bumps too hard. Um, and it must have had some kind of a weighted needle assembly on it, um, but it worked out pretty well. Um, the cool thing about this car was it had the big V8. It was a 413 cubic inch V8. And have you ever seen the drag cars of the time, the Chrysler drag cars, the letter cars? Yeah. They had that big cross-ram intake manifold.
0: Yeah. The, the so it had, two... one, had
1: one carburetor hanging off of each side of the engine. Yeah. Like, well beyond the valve covers. Yeah. So it had that factory. So it had twin four-barrel, I think they were Carter carburetors, that were on uh, 14-inch runners. Whoa. Yeah. So that meant that this 1961 station wagon was a 375-horsepower, 495-foot-pound V8. Yeah. Like, that's like a muscle car, pretty much, in wagon form, before the muscle car war was really even a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, 375 horsepower in 1961 was a big number. That wasn't anything to to scoff at. I mean, it weighed 4,500 pounds, but even at 4,500 pounds, that probably moved along pretty well.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask how much it weighed, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. So, 4,500 pounds. Um, that's even. That's not even
0: that much, really.
1: For a car that size, probably not. Probably not. I, mean, I don't know how long it is. It's pretty damn long, I can tell you that. It's no safety equipment in it. That's why it doesn't weigh that much. Yeah, it's just a big hollow metal box. Yeah. <laughs> um, But that car brand new was just shy of $5,000 in 1961. Wow, by that's really expensive. So, it's like forty-two grand today. mm mm-hmm. I did the conversion when I was looking the article, looking the car up before, but. Which is inexpensive for a luxury SUV. Top of the line luxury SUV, that would be considered like almost an entry level luxury SUV at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, it would be like a top of the line Mazda CX 5, maybe, but a bottom of the line, I don't know, BMW X1 or something. Not even a big SUV. Mm -hmm. And certainly not something that carried nine passengers with almost 400 horsepower. No. I mean, that number is still. Like, if a car is 375 horsepower horsepower today, that's still, like, that's a quick car. Like, that's still a big number. It's not like 150. You know, back then, a common car in the late 50s, early 60s was, what, 150 horse? Mm. For your average, everyday car? You know, what was a 1959 Impala, you know, V8 car was probably just shy of 200.
0: Well, it's surprising, too, that someone would order the wagon with the biggest V8. Yeah,
1: that was somebody who probably had to haul a lot of stuff. I bet that person bought that to pull a camper. Yeah,
0: And they said, I want
1: the most powerful thing you can get that hauls my whole family, my gear, and my camper trailer. Yeah, because usually, like,
0: a a work car or working car like that would be just a V6 or something, or a a straight 6 in that case.
1: Or even a a small V8. Yeah. It's probably still pretty common. There's no gas crisis yet. People still wanted V eights. Uh the cool thing about it is though is that, that particular V eight, Chrysler dubbed the Golden Lion. Yeah. And if you look at the side of the car, there's a like a leaping golden lion in the aluminum trim below the driver's arm, if you put his arm like on the window. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really neat car. It's not a car I'm really familiar with. I'm familiar with the basic styling of the car because that was the uh Virgil Exner like crazy Experimental Chrysler styling period because they were trying to set themselves in a different light as you know the GM and the Ford cars. Chrysler had some pretty were...
0: wild looking cars in the
1: 60s. I mean, a lot of them are really pretty, though. There were some really pretty ones and some really ugly ones, yeah. Um, but now, through like the eyes of history, they're all way more visually interesting than what was being put out by the other manufacturers, exactly. Not Not to discredit the other manufacturers, they made a pretty car. Um, But the Chrysler stuff, that Virgil Exner stuff was, there was a lot more going on. There was a lot more style put into them, I think, versus the other cars that had a lot of ornate fins and chrome and stuff. But they stuck to the traditional layouts of headlights and grills. And um, Chrysler kind of was like, well, if GM makes two headlights go side by side and Ford makes two headlights go up and down, let's take two headlights and put them at a 45 degree angle on each side yeah still working around the standardized headlights so yeah yeah and a lot of them had like a floating grille design like they had a big open bumper and then they'd have chrome buttons that were attached to some kind of a black mounting point in the back so it looked like all the buttons just kind of floating in midair um chrysler just kind of went a little a little over the top to differentiate themselves from gm and uh, and Ford at the time and 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 the designer of Virgil Exner was the guy who did that. You know, Har- Harley Earl was GM's famous designer in era. And um, Chrysler had Virgil Exner, who just kind of took the ball and ran with it. And I don't think they became the number one sale car, so it didn't, uh, didn't last very long. But then they kind of went more conservative into the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. But it's neat history if you look them up. Actually, maybe we could do an episode of that in the future about uh, the different car designers of that era and mm-hmm. what they were trying to uh, what they were trying to accomplish, because they did a lot of um, a lot of different things then with the whole jet age and trying to make cars look quote unquote European and right be an interesting uh, interesting thing to to talk about. Anything else? Uh no, like I said on the get go, I don't have much this week because I haven't done much.
0: Oh, you know what? I saw um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, okay, there's a lot of cool '60s cars in the background of that movie. Okay, like I didn't the, know it
1: was a period piece.
0: Yeah, it's period. So like the the main two characters, Brad Pitt's character drives Leonardo DiCaprio's character around. I'm not spoiling it or anything. It's it's all in the posters or anything. He Drives like a I think it's like a '67 Cadillac. Coop, Okay. Drives him around. And then, of course, Brad Pitt's character is like a stuntman in the mid-60s. So, like, his car is like a ratty Carmen Ghia convertible. Oh, that's that, cool. That's probably a little souped up because it, it sounds like it and he kind of rips it through Los Angeles in one scene.
1: I'm a big fan of Carmen Carmanguilla's.
0: Yeah. And, it's, and I imagine it would be, it's kind of ratty and a little bit like surface rust. So, you know, the movie takes place in 69. It's probably like... What was the first year of a Guia? Like a 62 or something? Uh, like 59 or 60. Yeah, so it's probably like an early Guia, And, of course, like, you know, p- paint wasn't good back then, so it wouldn't last very long, especially in
1: the California sun. Right. It's a baby blue one, right? I'm looking at a picture right yep, now.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, it, uh, it, it felt right in the movie that he would, like, you know, he's not a very rich guy. He's just this, you know, working hollywood stepman guy so he'd have like this little ratty car and kind of rips it around and it's pretty cool And there's a bunch of other cool stuff in the background and the music was cool they did a lot of like intros from like the radio stations of the day
1: so that would be it looks like it looks like a 63 like to 66 yeah yeah so that was pretty cool it's got the, it's got the larger slightly larger taillights not the tiny little taillights yeah So it's not going to be like a 59.
0: Oh, and then they have like, um, there's, you know, of course, it it takes place um, sort of like historical fiction. So there's like Sharon Tate in it and Roman Polanski and they're driving around in probably like a late 50s MG. Oh, that's cool. The one with the boat fenders. The one that looks like a really old car, that MG.
1: Yeah, like a TC or a TD or a TF. Depends on what year it is.
0: Yeah, and there, there's a bunch of scenes of like, it's probably like stunt people, but with the camera right behind them ripping around and the
1: uh, the sound of it. It sounds super, super cool. So I just I'll have to go watch that movie just for that. But um, I just saw an article from The rap about um, Quentin Tarantino. It's titled, Quentin Tarantino used an absurd amount of vintage cars in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says the person written the article says that the the person who located the cars for the film says the average period piece uses between 300 and uses about 300 cars sometimes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, they used over 2000 cars filming that movie for background cars and upfront cars.
0: Yeah. Cause a lot of times, like you ruin this for me in movies. Sometimes you're like, Oh, if you look like just beyond like just out of focus, you'll see like new cars. Right, and like I didn't see that at all in this movie. Like an
1: American gangster when he's talking in the phone in the the phone booth, and there's a. It's supposed to be set in like 1969, and there's a 95 Thunderbird through the phone booth. Yeah, stuff really bothers me. Yeah. No, they they
0: put so many cars in this, but yeah, you can't see any because it just. Or that John
1: DeLorean movie with um, uh, Alec Baldwin, is one of the most one of the worst errors in any movie ever when it comes to cars yeah because it's a movie about john delorean and he's showing a film to these pontiac executives and they're like well what is that and he's like that folks is the new gto and it's a film of like a 66 catalina driving around oh that's pretty It just makes me super angry because that's such a such a major detail that should exist for them to put in there Uh, there's there's definitely period films of a 64 gto driving around like it was such a big deal when it came out and i've seen videos of that but it was just film of a like a 65 66 catalina oh and then it was uh
0: like you know i went to see it with stephanie and we were leaving and my mom just got that 79 beetle so it's got that Mm -hmm. air-cooled sound and Mm -hmm. a bunch of times in this movie like air-cooled cars would like rumble by or something and we right. were leaving the movie. I was like, you know, that, that, it's funny. That air cooled sound was definitely like the sound of the 60s, especially out oh, there. Sure.
1: Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it honestly, it, it, it still is here. Not a day goes by here in Phoenix that I don't see, I'd say five Beatles. Yeah. Cause they're still daily driven out here.
0: Occasionally, cause I'm on a busy street here with the windows open in the summertime, you'll hear an air cooled car go by occasionally. Yep. But yeah, it's definitely like that air-cooled sound is so unique. But like, it's really important that like there's certain spots where the characters on a street and the car goes by and you hear it, and you're like, oh, that yeah, that like that would be the sound in the '60s, right? Yeah, for sure. So it was I. I thought it was a cool movie, but this is a movie called podcast, but.
1: Well, it's a car podcast and it's a, a lot of cars in the movie. Yeah. Uh, reading a little further into that um, thing, do you know why he used the Carmen Ghia? No. So, do you remember the last time Tarantino used a Carmen Ghia? I don't. Kill Bill. Oh, I don't remember. Uma Thurman drove it in Kill Bill 2.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't remember. It's probably like a hot second.
1: Uh, the same baby blue color. So that's what the car is a reference to—is it's callback to that movie, and I guess the one used in that movie, they had a um, Subaru engine in it, ah, to make it so it would be easier to do like fast driving through L.A. or wherever you saw it was like hmm. skipping through. But yeah, it's got a modern Subaru engine in it. Hmm. Nifty. So, yeah, and the the MG was a 62 TD.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was so. very
1: very cool. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, all right, I think that's a podcast.
1: Yeah, better uh, better episodes next time, but uh, this is a, a learning experience for us, and hopefully, it uh, fills the need for a weekly episode and gets us better for our next one.
0: All right, so uh, if you can stand us still, go follow us on
1: Facebook. It hey, Ado- wasn't topic that podcast.
0: bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Off topic on Instagram, follow me on Instagram. Race in anger, Brad. Where can they find you?
1: Uh, TSI SS350. Oh, yeah. And go
0: check out our YouTube page on Off Topic. Um, I put a couple oh, videos yeah, up sure. there. Uh, and as always, keep cars analog
1: and aim for the roses. And we'll see you Sunday.
0: I think or so. Or Saturday.
1: Sunday. Sunday. This coming Sunday. Sunday. August 18th. For the Cars and Coffee at um, the Coffee Factory in Salem, New Hampshire.